before, but she asked me like oh. a dozen times where she's oh. dropping it. What is that movie called? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know that movie. Is that the one with Jason Bateman? What's it called? I don't know. It's like a name of someone. The name of the movie is like someone's name. Yeah, I think. Doesn't she like drive around with Jason Bateman in that movie? You know who Jason Bateman is? That's not an identity theft movie, isn't it? I don't know. Identity theft is with Jason Bateman. Oh, okay. Regardless, I've never seen it. I'm pretty sure the only Mosakarthy movie I've seen was Ghostbusters, and I really kind of wish I hadn't. Feminism? No, it wasn't that. It was just like. It wasn't their fault. I felt like the performers were actually really good, but I. But it was. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't feel like it was the performer's fault. I feel like it was... I feel like they were trying to make a Ghostbusters movie for kids. And the original Ghostbusters movies were not for kids. Because it was so cartoony and... That's probably true. And it may depend on whether or not she wrote it. Yeah, it's called Tammy. It's called Tammy. 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 No, never saw it. Okay, well, let's pray. And we'll jump into God's word this morning. See where he takes us. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that I didn't wake up to eight inches of snow. I'm grateful. I really am, truly. Um, uh, so, and I just pray that you would continue that blessing into tomorrow. Uh, but, uh, Lord, we just ask that you would open up our hearts or that you would speak to us today. Um, your word is precious and you have, uh, beautiful things to give us. We want to receive them. So I just pray that you would, uh, you would put us in a place where we can receive them. Would you prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the seed of your word this morning and that we would be transformed by the living word in this class this morning. I pray that for myself as much as anyone else. As we pursue you, Jesus, you like to let us find you. I thank you for that. Um, Sunday morning, we, we do pre-service prayer at our church from uh, 9.25 to 9.50, and then we do service at 10. And I was praying from Ephesians 3, which is the how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. That It's that prayer. It's an apostolic prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for the church at Ephesus that they would know the full dimensions of the love of God. But it starts off with this, uh, there's, there's several pieces to that prayer. It starts off with, his, his, he begins the prayer by asking that the Holy Spirit would be at work on the inside of them so that they would have the capacity to understand the full dimensions of the love of God. And I, I've prayed this prayer 8,000 times. I mean, that's not, that's, lit, that's not an exaggeration, I don't think. Um, uh, 
all through my involvement with the uh, House of Prayer and whatever. This is a absolutely favorite prayer that I go back to over and over again. It's well-worn. I know it by heart. And I landed on that, that verse. I woke up Sunday morning feeling pretty sick. I've still got kind of a cold going on. Um, and I just kind of crawled into church going, God, you're going to have to do something because I just, I, I'm barely a, like able to walk around and I have to preach, you know? And, um, thankfully I wasn't leading worship that morning because that would have been even worse. But, uh, but, uh, we get to that prayer time and I just landed in that verse and, and the Lord really hit me hard with this idea that, uh, out of this verse, because the apostle Paul is saying, He's asking that the Holy Spirit would be at work on the inside of me, on the inside of the church at Ephesus, on the inside of, of, of a follower of Jesus, to strengthen us in our inner man by the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can receive. And that kind of blew my mind that God gives us capacities to receive things that we don't even have the capacity to receive. It's not even, it's not, it's not, you know, we often think about God giving us capacity to do things that we're supposed to do, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, oh Lord, God, give me strength. How many of you have ever said that? Like dealing with specific people, (laughs) God, give me strength, you know, Uh, those are important. And, and I've asked for that many, many times, but I, I've rarely asked God to give me the strength to receive a gift from him that I'm not currently able to receive. And that's the prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'm asking God to strengthen you so that you can receive this gift. And that kind of that just that just rocked my world a little bit. Because I just never connected with this reality that that. God can give us the capacity to receive more than I can currently receive. So why don't you think about that for a minute? And I think this is a prayer I'm going to be praying a lot. Um, Holy Spirit, give me the capacity to receive uh, greater faith for these things. Or to, um, and so one of the things that the Lord's been saying to me a lot these last couple of weeks is that when we're not seeing answers to prayer, most of the time, it isn't God, it's us. It isn't that God's saying no, it's that we're not in a place to receive. Does that make sense? It's that we're not, <clears throat> that something within us, some, some reality inside of us, some belief pattern, some kind of thought pattern is just not aligned to receive the gift that God's sending the gift. The gift is God, God's put it, packaged it up and he sent it out and he's saying, here you go. And we can't receive it. We're literally unable. We have an inability to receive the thing which God is fully giving us. So now not only do we need the gift that we're asking for, but we need grace to receive that gift. And so I'm really, the more that, uh, as I'm studying, as I've been opening up the Bible since then, and as I've been thinking about things, and I've just been asking God, Lord, give me the grace to receive the gifts, all of the gifts that you want to give me today. 
You know, I think we, we, I really think we think of this backwards. I think that we kind of have to convince God, will you just give me this thing already? And God's going, I gave it to you already. It's already yours, but you aren't prepared to receive it. It's like, I gave you a Ferrari, but you don't have a driver's license. Well, yeah, but imagine. Yeah, but then imagine you just don't have fingers to open it. <laughs> I'm just saying. So now you have to. Not only do you have to ask God to give you the gift. God's God saying, "Look, I'm the gift. Isn't the issue. It's your heart that's the issue." And I think. Prayer is more often about the preparation of my heart to receive the grace of God than it is about asking for the grace of God. So I don't know why that came up while I was praying, but I just felt like I should share that with you guys. Okay. We are in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 4. Okay, and remember last week we talked about... um, uh, we receive encouragement from Christ. We receive consolation. We receive context from the Holy Spirit and affection from all three and how we're supposed to be connected to one another. Okay, So then we get to verse 4, and he says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When I first read this, I was like, Oh, of course, this is love your neighbor as yourself. And the Holy Spirit was like, Err! Hold on. no. Love your neighbor as yourself isn't yours anymore. No, 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 no. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the old commandment. Jesus gave you a new commandment, and it's to love your neighbor as I have loved you. You see how that's another level? Love your neighbor as yourself was old covenant. New covenant is Jesus and John He says it in several places, but you can look at it. It's in John 13. It's in John 15. It's in John 17. A new commandment I've given to you, says the Lord. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's a whole nother ball of wax because now it's not about loving my neighbor as myself. Now I have to think, how has Jesus loved me? And I have to do that for them. That's something else. Loving my neighbor as myself is hard enough. That's hard enough. That's really difficult. All by itself, that's difficult. I can't even really get to that level, let alone loving them as he has loved me. Are you kidding me, Jesus? And the Lord is constantly, I love it, because the Lord's constantly putting these things out of our reach. He's constantly saying, yeah, yeah, that's not actually good enough. Let's just take, (laughs) we're going to go another notch. This is what I'm asking from you. And that way I have to, I have no choice. I have to rely on the grace of God flowing in and through me to accomplish it. Because I cannot love you the way Jesus loved me unless there's supernatural Jesus love in my heart for you. His love has had better be in me for you or else I'm not going to love you that way. Truth is, I'm not going to love you like I love myself unless I have the help from the Holy Spirit. 
okay? Let alone love you the way Jesus loved you. I want you to think about the way Jesus loved you. And we can, we can go all the way and say he loved you by actually allowing himself to be murdered for you. That's, that's a lot. Wow. Okay. When you were in danger, when you were in danger that you generated, your own sin put you in the place where you were headed to hell. Jesus said, I'll take your ticket. I'll go to hell for you. And he did. That was what Jesus, that's how Jesus loved you. Okay, but I want you to go, let's broaden this out a little bit because that's the mo- That's the ultimate demonstration of the love of Jesus for you. But I want you to ask the next question, what, is, what does it look like when Jesus loved me? Okay, Jesus also loved you extremely thoughtfully and extremely personally. He knows everything about you. And he cares about even the little things. And he loves you more than probably you would like him to love you. And Jesus is saying, love one another as I have loved you. Talk to me. I feel like you guys are like, I don't know, getting a vibe. Talk to me. What does that mean to you? When I say that to you, Jesus has commanded you to love each other as he has loved you. What what comes to your mind immediately? Not all at once, guys. Do we have to stand up and do jumping jacks? Or well, then come on, talk to me. I, mean, I think about like the relationships I have because like, like love the way Jesus did. Like Jesus still loves even though we messed up, and continue to mess up like constantly. So like, just the fact that like, like my relationship with like, like they have to be centered around that because like. I have to put myself in like the way of like kind of like you know like getting hurt or you know getting screwed out and still loving the person. Yeah. It sucks honestly, but yeah. And a lot of times, like, I see things like with the whole, um, like, racial tension and stuff in, in our country. Like, that's a situation where you need to be more, like, put down your pride and listen to each side. Um, and do things like with people having problems with churches in Texas, but walking with the homeless people. Um, that's a situation.
somebody else. When I hear that, the scope of it shocks me. Um, so it means that in literally every in literally every situation of my life, I'm called to respond with love. Like you cut me, I bleed love. That's 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 my that's what he's calling me to do. Okay? You nail me to a cross and I ask God to forgive you. Okay, that's that's my response. So even when direct malicious wrong has come toward me, my response is, I love you. <clears throat> I forgive you. That's, that's, that's the response Jesus is calling us to, to have to every, and, and please hear me, I am not talking about some crappy, cheesy a uh, Christian, I love you. No. Okay? I'm talking about the real thing because Jesus didn't say I love you and not mean it. Jesus responded to our aggression toward him by giving himself sacrificially to us. It's, it's the picture when Jesus says, hey, when someone makes you walk a mile with them, walk another mile. When someone slaps you in the face, turn to them the other cheek also. Stay vulnerable. That is one of the hardest messages to hear, especially in this culture, where offense means I no longer have to respect you. Yeah. So, um, for me, uh, the guys are talking love the past couple of years and just trying to get me to learn more about that and then uh, came to this we really want there to be that down the years of facing uh, finding some different stuff and uh, uh, learn more about love like that and I was going to say on my, my nightstand I haven't touched it for a while and I've been sitting there staring at it and I'm just like I'm not going to read that anymore you know talk about this stuff and then it also reminds me a lot about what I read in Turn Christian Christ. Um, it's like, it's not necessarily like scary, but it just reminds me how much I really suck at that stuff. Yeah. And like, reading that is so much different than like, if I actually got to meet one of those guys and talk to them about it, because there was uh, a story in there where a guy had done some street evangelism and got arrested and was thrown in the gulag where he's tortured and this other stuff, and uh, his execution date had come up, and his wife and kids found out about it, whatever, and they were really upset about it. He sent out a letter saying that I love you guys, but I love the people that are in here torturing my mom. Mm -hmm. And they said they need my love more than you guys do because you guys have a loving father, and you guys would be okay. And God has you, but these men here, I need to stay. Even when there was like a chance for him to escape, basically they're they're saying, 
you want to get your oats or you're not going to die. Yeah. He said it makes it better. I was like, ugh. The amounts of just like faith there. And it's not even thing, anything that I'm like, oh my God, I could never be that faithful. That's so ridiculous. But I just feel like every single time I, I find that that thing that God's like shows me or any of us that this is this is hard for us to reach. This is this is the radical in our lives. I try to make that my normal because what's the next step? Like that's the thing with God. It's always more and more and more. Like you said, it's always bumping all stuff up. Yeah. So I just think that's when you read books like that, when you're tortured for Christ or you read through the Faith of Satan and different things like that call you to a higher standard. Like, oh my gosh, it's so radical. No one's even talking about this or preaching about this. Well, what about the people that have the situation? That's their own. That's their faith. Here's a question I want to ask. Because in our environment and in the culture in which you live, okay, there is, and I'm talking about contemporary Christian culture, because that's where you exist right now. I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about the United States of America. Or even the Midwest. I'm talking about contemporary Christian culture, which is a very specific brand of culture, but it's it exists. Okay, among church people, what do you do when a pastor offends you? What do you do when a someone in the church does something truly? They mean it. They are trying to hurt you. What will your response be? That's the hard question. That's where I want to go. Because I have watched it happen a thousand times. Okay, and I've even been in that seat a couple times where people have done things that were plain, just plain evil. Church people have done things that are absolutely evil toward me. Okay? People I'm supposed to trust, people I, that I'm supposed to, that, I, that, 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 you know, are supposed to love me as Christ has loved me, and they don't. Okay, first of all, get ready because it's going to happen to you. I love you. I want you to know it. The church is going to hurt you at some point. Someone in the church, a leader in the church. So you're going to be hurt by the church. You're going to be offended. You're going to be squashed. You're going to be sat on at some point. You're going to have some leaders in your life that are beautiful, that are wonderful, and that are for you, and that are going to be with you every step of the way. And then you're going to have leaders that aren't that way at all. Then you have leaders that are most of the time doing great, but then they're going to do stuff that's going to hurt you. You're going to have friends in the church that say things about you. You're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ that are going to <clears throat> be mad at you for reasons you don't even understand. And then they're going to talk to everyone except for you about why they're angry with you. That's the reality of the world we live in. Most, Christ most Christians, I'm sorry to say, are immature, both spiritually and emotionally, and they respond in absolutely the wrong spirit to things that happen. And my question to you is, is that going to be you? 
what is your response going to be? Let me tell you. The response of your heart at first is probably going to be hurt and anger. And you're going to want to say bad things about them, sever relationships with them, uh, hurl accusation, start talking to other people you know don't like them so that you can build a consensus. I'm right about this, right? I'm, I'm right about this, right? And you're going to want to kind of build a case against them. But is that what Jesus did for you? Okay. I would say to you, Jesus did the opposite. You offended him and you still offend him every day. And instead of building a case against you, Jesus has built a case in your favor. He is your advocate. He's the one going before the Father saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the case of Jesus versus you, Jesus is your lawyer. And in the church, we've got to come around and we've got to get this right. And we can't be this finger pointing, high horse riding, uh, uh, sounding like Satan group of people anymore. We've got to be a people who say that hurt. And I'm not saying we ignore the hurt. I'm saying we go to Matthew 18 and we go directly to the person and we have a conversation with them. And that conversation needs to sound something like this. What happened, whether you meant to or not, hurt my feelings. I love you. I don't hold it against you. And if I've done anything that hurt you, I want to ask you to forgive me. That's what that conversation needs to sound like. It doesn't need to sound like, you're a jerk and I don't like you. I'm taking my ball and going home. I had somebody one time come to me and <laughs> started the conversation with, I just wanted you to know that I forgive you. I had, there were things that she needed to forgive me for. I'll just be honest. I had not been kind. I had been right, but not kind. And that's, oh. that's a problem. Just, Everything you've addressed as far as sometimes you have feelings and they're right. Does that mean you should share them? <laughs> so when this person began that conversation with me that way, I was eager to have that conversation as I wanted to ask for forgiveness. And so I did. And that's how it started. But that's not how the conversation ended. <laughs> started off so good. <laughs> but then it became an accusation session. And you did this, and you did that, and you did this, and you've never cared about me. And, and then, oh, wow. It really hurt. 
it really, really hurt. And actually, the last phrase of the conversation, because I didn't say anything else. The last phrase of the conversation was, you know what? I thought I'd forgiven you. I guess I haven't. And then she walked. <laughs> That's the last conversation I ever had with this person, even though I, I tried to have more. That's not what it looks like to be a person that loves someone the way Jesus loves you. It doesn't look like that. We are called to step into the world in a cruciform manner. St. Francis of Assisi is a guy that I respect. He had some interesting ideas, but he also had some really powerful ones. And there's this phrase that was spoken about him that I have been asking the Lord that God, let that phrase be spoken about me. And it's this, that he lived in the world as the pardon of God. What that means is he was literally God's forgiveness made manifest. That everywhere that he went, people felt forgiven by God. That that's the message that that, that was his life's message. Not just with his words, but with his actions, with his facial expressions, with the way that he lived in the world. That he was grace embodied. And the church did not like him. Now, the amazing thing about Francis and the thing that I respect most about him was that when the church came after him, instead of doing what he had every right to do, which was to stand up, point the finger at a rich, corrupt, not Christ-like church at all and say, I'm doing this right, you're doing this wrong, and you are, you know, I'm holy and you're not. Because he could have done that. But it isn't what he did. All he ever did was say, I love you. I don't blame you. I have to do what Jesus has called me to do. Period. When they called him in, his, his own father, check this out because Francis grew up a rich guy. And when his own father, oh, he grew up in a rich family, I should say it that way. And he was giving tons of his dad's money to the poor. I mean, just constantly. And so his father took him to court to stop him, to get him to stop. And it was a church court. And to get him to stop giving away all his money to the poor, Francis walked up to the judge and said, 
he literally took all of his clothes off, which had been given to him by his father. That's why he took them off. Put them in front, put them at his father's feet and said, everything you've given me, I give you back. And I'm never going to ask anything of you again. And he walked out buck naked. (laughs) But there was no father. Don't you see that this is righteous? No, it wasn't that. It was just, okay. You don't want me to use your money anymore? I won't. Here. You refuse to be an accusing voice. You refuse to be a Satan. That's what the name means. You know that, right? Accuser. He chose to be an advocate. Instead of an adversary. When Jesus says, I want you to love each other even as I have loved you, I think the primary way that that's expressed is forgiveness. It's also the most costly way it's expressed because forgiveness literally means I pay for what you did. When I was in Mexico City uh, with YWAM, um, they live kind of like you guys in community and, you know, stuff happens, issues happen, right? And uh, uh, someone had bought a bunch of food and put it in the community fridge. It was clearly labeled, this belongs to me. And someone else had eaten it. I know, I know. It's it's. And and, and 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 no one was copping to it. Like they had they had brought it to the group and said, All right, here's the deal. You know, money is tight as you know, and yet they went out and bought this food for themselves and then someone else ate it, even though it was clearly marked. Can we can whoever it is, can you just pay them back? But it had been three days and no one had said that was me. No one no one had admitted to actually having done it. So the the leader was the lady who was in kind of Vicky's spot, who was, who she said, she said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pay them for the food that you ate. I'm going to pay that student for the food that the, whoever it was, ate out of my own personal money. And all of you know, I don't have the money to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. And she's like, and I'm not asking you to pay me back. In fact, I won't, I won't accept it. But just be reminded that Jesus paid for you. And I was like, exactly. I was like, shoot. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's leadership right there. That is great. Wow, that just blew my mind. I was like, I won't ever forget it. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Not only did Jesus say, you know what you did to me, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold it against you. Jesus went further than that. Jesus said, what you did to me, I'm going to pay for it. You took your car, you smashed into my car, you totaled my car and yours. Not only am I going to pay for my car to be repaired, but I'm going to repair your car as well. That's what Jesus did. And that's what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness says, I pay for what you did to me. 
verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay? The word attitude here means thought, way of thinking, thought pattern. There's a Latin phrase, Christus exemplar. There's multiple things, multiple ways that we can, that we relate to Jesus. One of them is, you know, Christus Rex, Jesus the King. Okay, he's in charge. One of the ways is, you know, there's other ways I don't remember the Latin for, but there's multiple. But one of them is this, Christus exemplar, which means he's my example. I, I choose to behave like him. Okay, to mirror him, to watch what he's doing and try and do the same. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, I want you to think the way Jesus thinks. One of, my, one of the prayers that I pray a lot is, Jesus, I want to love what you love and I want to hate what you hate. I pray that prayer often. I personally think it's a really good prayer. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Bill Johnson says it like this. I don't want any thought in my head that wasn't in God's first. Yeah, I can stand with that. So what's the attitude they're talking about? Verse 6. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This, I remember when I first read this verse years ago, I read it in the King James and it said, it, it says, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God. And I was like, what? I just thought that would throw that out there. It doesn't help you understand it any better. <laughs> he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So this is what you got to understand. Jesus deserves all honor, glory, obedience, and worship. They are his by right, but he never regarded them. That was not important to him. Those aren't Jesus' priorities. We so often want to stand up for our rights. We're good at that. We're Americans. I'm standing up for my rights. I'm going to fight for my right to party, right? Okay, so <laughs> uh, this, this is my rights, and it's mine by right, and I'm going to take you to jail. I'm going to take you to, to court or whatever. And Jesus was like, I'm not interested in my rights. He didn't consider the throne an end in itself. His power for Jesus, his power as ruler, his authority as creator, his glory as God himself, Jesus always considered these things as a means to an end. Do you know what that end is? Relationship with you. Holy Spirit wakes somebody up. Because I'm telling you right now, what I just said should, I mean, I want to stand up and break this chair into pieces. That's what I want to do. I want to like rip the walls down. Like that is insane. 
Are you kidding me? Jesus, Jesus considers his equality with God as secondary importance to his connection with me. Oh, you guys didn't hear what I just said. I just need to leave the room and let you just think about that for about 12 years. Because that's what this says. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. It wasn't something he was going to be like, well, you know what? When I think about what's important to me, I think about my glory, my honor, my... The obedience that is... Owed. Church has gotten this wrong so many stinking times, so many stinking times. Do you really think? Why don't we understand? Why don't we get it? Why don't we understand that God, you being obedient to God is not as important to him as you being in a relationship with him? Why, why don't we get that? I know, right? I'm, you're looking at me like I'm preaching heresy. It's because you don't get it. This is huge. This, is, this should mess with your head. Because the truth is you've probably thought about this wrong your entire life. I know I did. My whole life, I was always like, you know, God's, my relationship with God is just kind of the nice byproduct of the fact that he's forgiven me for all of my issues. That, you know, but that's not <laughs> the Apostle Paul is saying here. Listen. Jesus looked upon his godness and said, not as important to me as my connection to those people. His godness was a means to an end, was a means to restoring you to relationship with himself. Verse 7. So he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself of position, of privilege, of platform, of rights, of fame, of honor, and became a servant. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the one by whom, through whom all things were created, he became a, an infant. This is what Christmas is all about, folks. This is the shocking, unbelievable reality that I don't think that we really get. And this is why we should truly celebrate in, at Christmas. is because God made a decision that he was going to put down everything that separated you from him so that he could look you in the eye 
and he could suffer with you and he could forgive you so that no one could ever say, God, you don't know what it's like to be me. And I want to, I want to, I want to warn you to be careful of any thought in your head that makes Jesus more than a man when he was on the earth. Now, he was more than a man. But I want, I want to warn you to be careful because we talk about Jesus like he was a man who did not struggle the way that we struggle. We talk about Jesus like he was a man who had it a little bit easier as a human than you and I have it. Like, well, yeah, Jesus was a human, but I mean, come on, he was God. You can't do that. You can't do that or you rob the incarnation of all of its glory. You have to, you have to live in this spot where you understand the truth that Jesus became just like you, not different from you. He became just like you. He walked the same path you're walking. He had the same issues, the same problems, the same temptations, the same everything. He took on the fullness of humanity. He became a man. Everything you are, he was. We've got to we got to really come to grips with that. That's why I like to talk to people about Jesus pooping and having B.O. I want you to get the fact that Jesus was a man. He never stopped being the second person of the Trinity. But he was a man. He was a human being. And the only power that he had to resist sin was the same supernatural power that's available to you to resist sin, and that is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So when people said bad things about Jesus, it hurt his feelings. When they spit on him while he was hanging on the cross for them, that was not, he didn't laugh it off. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of men. He became a human from the humus. Dirt. Being found in appearance as a man, this is verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The sovereign, free one, became obedient 
even to death on the cross. I want to, I want to ask you this question. Did the Romans have the right to persecute God? Could they bring an accusation against the creator of all things? Did they even have the right to do that? When my children get mad at me for eating the last cookie. I look at them and say, did you pay for these? No. How many of them did you eat? A couple. Okay, so who's the one who should really be mad right now? Because I bought these and you ate them. Me eating something that I bought, that's how it's supposed to work. It's mine. You did not pay for these. But in my grace, in my love for you, I allowed you to partake of something that never belonged to you. You should be bowing at my feet and thanking me for the gracious gift of even one crumb of these cookies. You did not get to bring an accusation against me. Now, if you took birthday money and you went to the store and you bought cookies for yourself and then I ate one of them, maybe then, but not now. No, no. Okay? But Jesus stood in a Roman court, a court which was built by things that he had created using technology that God had enabled man to come up with and using some twisted form of law that God had given to mankind in the beginning. And they're pointing the finger at creator Jesus, who's never done anything wrong. And they're saying he's guilty of something. No, I don't think so. They don't get to bring an accusation against Jesus. Nobody gets, the Romans don't get to do that. The Jews really don't get to do that. There is no reason why Jesus, Jesus did not have to be obedient to any earthly authority at any time. Jesus should have, could have looked at the Roman authority and been like, guess what? You no longer exist. You know, he could have done, he could have gone all, you know, Agent Smith and said, how are you going to make a phone call when you can't speak? You know, and then their mouth, anybody? No? The Matrix? Yeah. I mean, he could have done that. Okay, because Jesus has all authority in heaven. I mean, this is reality. Jesus could have have totally just, and he would have been in within his rights to do so, but he didn't do that. He humbled himself and he became obedient to corrupt and broken systems built by corrupt, broken, <laughs> foolish men who only care about their own power. Jesus said, I'll submit. What? It's injustice of the highest order that he would ever even have to be considered a member of any nation. And not only did he allow that to happen, but he stayed respectful as they nailed him to a cross and took his life from him. 
as they murdered him, he was saying, God, forgive them. That's the attitude Paul wants us to have. And we get mad when someone cuts us off in traffic. I have said some things I am not proud of on traffic. <laughs> he became obedient even to the point of suffering the most horrible death imaginable. For this reason, verse 9, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We love this verse, but we love it because we ignore the verses that came in front of it. <laughs> That's right! Every knee will bow! Because this verse can easily be used to fit right into our success-worshipping narrative. This, word, this verse right here can easily fall right into my, yeah, that's right, Jesus is the winner and they are the losers and we worship winners and we hate losers. This, is, this verse is so good for that. That's why so many songs, you know, every knee shall bow, woo, every tongue confess. That's right. No. Resist the urge, guys, to return to a success-worshipping narrative out of this verse. Because Paul didn't want you to go there. Paul wanted you to see the dramatic, the, the, the cataclysmic upheaval that took place when the submitting God became king. Because what happened was servanthood became exalted. God's way of love, which is the emptying of oneself, becomes the definition of rulership. From that point forward, Truly, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. God took all of the earth systems and everything man had created and said, nope, and stood it on its head and said, from this point forward, the losers are the winners, the broken are the healed, the mourning are the comforted. Sound familiar? Jesus knew what he was setting out to do. In Matthew 5, he stood on a mountaintop and said, this is the new order of things. This is the way things are going to be. This is how things are going to move forward. The one who empties himself is the one who rules. And the higher you go, the more you give. Not the more you get. No, that's not how it goes. That's not how the kingdom works. That's how earth's kingdom works. 
The higher you go, the greater your privilege. Wrong! That is not how the kingdom works. That's how the earth system works. The higher you go, the greater your privilege. The way the kingdom system works, the higher you go, the more of your privilege you give away. You guys ever heard the phrase, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? In the world system, that's absolutely true. Because the higher you go, the more privilege you gain, which means you can do anything you want. But in the kingdom system, the higher you go, the more you give. In the kingdom system, the more you receive, the more is expected of you. In the kingdom system, the more privileged you are, the more platform you are to give to everyone else. And anytime, anytime I see the kingdom working like the world system, I just want to puke. Anytime I see the kingdom working where we get people who gain fame, which gains them authority, and people begin to say, well, they're successful, so we obviously should be listening to them. Oh, that is so backward. The bigger your platform, the more of a servant you should become. And the truth is when we get to heaven and we see the rewards that get handed out, the people that are going to be in the front ranks are going to be the people no one's ever heard of. We're going to be like, who is that? Well, that's Grandma Jones. She was sick and blind and broken her entire life, but she was faithful to Jesus and in her prayer life her entire life. And because of that, she has gained a higher place of authority in heaven than any than anybody else. We'll be shocked. The big names that we've heard are going to be off in the corners. Just glad they're there. We're going to be amazed. And I'll tell you what, it is really hard. As a career minister, to not reach for those things that people around me would consider success. It's hard. It's hard to not, you know, I talked about this, was it last time? I don't remember, but, I, you know, why do I even put stuff on the internet? Like, really, it's a self-promotion thing, but how disgusting is that? Like, is that, that's not kingdom at all. <laughs> it just makes me want to puke. God's way of love, the emptying of oneself, becomes the definition of authority and rulership. The lack of brute force defeats the might makes right believers. Giving beats receiving. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That James 2.13, by the way. Forgiving wins over accusation. Releasing crushes retribution. And reconciliation becomes more important than being right.
feels backwards, doesn't it? Like you're bending yourself into an uncomfortable seating position. You know what I mean? Do you guys take your senior pictures and like making you like sit in a weird like, yeah. I actually fell off my chair. And the, the photographer was like, if you're not going to be serious about this, I was like, I, I, that was an accident. I didn't mean to fall. But you're like, have me like, okay, now look to the left, but turn to the right and turn your head to the thing and put your, you know, and it was like, <laughs> now smile. But that's what happens when we start, when we start encountering the thinking of the kingdom of heaven, it bends us out of our regular, of our, of our comfortable positions and makes us stand in ways that we're like, ah, this, this feels really wrong. I remember the first time that I went to the chiropractor, I had hurt my back really bad. And, and, and the, he adjusted me or whatever. And I walked out of there and I was just like, I feel weird. Like, <laughs> because I had been out of alignment for years now I'm back like in alignment and my muscles were, were set up to hold me in this other position that I had been standing in for forever. And I had no idea. Oh, uh, it's just, you know, and so I'm like walking, like I don't feel uncomfortable. This is weird, you know, but after a few weeks of getting regularly aligned now, it's like anytime I get out of alignment, I'm like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. I had gotten used to what was wrong. When we come into contact with these ideas and they're so contrary to the system, the air we stink and breathe, we're like, I don't know, this is weird. And it's hard to think that way. And it, it takes energy to try and put yourself, no, I'm not about serving my, and then all of a sudden you're walking along and you just discover new ways that, that, the, that the world system has built crap into your brain. And you're like, ah, no. All right, talk to me. What's going on in your heads? You're know, going over the process, you know, like, like what I was saying, you know, actions are better than words. And like, yeah, like, Jesus, you know, did this whole preaching, like, he just goes through a giant sermon in Matthew, you know, Jesus talking. That's great, like, he's Jesus, so like, obviously he's right, but like, like, yeah, like, his words. I'm just thinking through, like, um... It was somewhere in Matthew, it was a couple chapters after five, I think. It's talking about like like those who exalt themselves will be lowered and like those who are humbled will be exalted. And you're just like, Okay, like that's cool, but like then you think about the fact that like Jesus did the most extreme form of that ever possible. And so that's kinda like like and for the fact that like he did that the most extreme possible only for a relationship really. Yeah. Like just trying to process through, like, like, I know, like, you know, God became man, but, like, the fact that, like, he strolled down from heaven, like, in order to gain relationship, it's ridiculous, like, yeah. and then also, you know, there's just this verse two running in my head of, like, reckless love, you know, when I was your foe, <laughs> like, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> no, <laughs> so that, like, literally, that, that, just, just that one line of the words has just been like 
spinning in my head. So, yeah. Come on, talk to me, folks. You're me. Kind of with Evan, like thinking of the Sacrificial, co suffering love. That, that word co suffering has been really important to me lately. I've been listening to this. Uh, she's a researcher. Her name's Brene Brown. I would recommend any of her stuff to anybody because it's really good. And it's all about vulnerability and shame. It's really good. And she talks about empathy. And all the ways that we do empathy wrong. <laughs> Brene Brown. Brene, I think, is B-R-E-N-E. And uh, ask, ask Nathan about Brene Brown, because he's been walking through some of that stuff, too. And uh, she talks about empathy. And she says this line, which has been haunting me for weeks, which is the two most powerful words you can say to people in crisis are me too. Don't offer them a solution. Don't tell them they shouldn't feel the way they feel. Well, at least you still have. Yeah. No. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen that video. so powerful, but so hard to get at the same time because <laughs> like what people do. Yeah. But that's what Jesus did. He came and suffered with us. It's co-suffering. He didn't stand up in heaven and be like, it's going to be okay. That looks like it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that looks like it hurts. That must suck to be you. No, he didn't do any of that. He came and he stood by us. He stood with us. He walked with it through. He walked with us through it, and he hasn't left us alone. He's right there next to us. 
That's what he did. There was a, a thing that you shared last year that kind of just stuck with me in my like kind of like passion of pursuing whatever part of God is on. There's a picture that you um, described about how there's a room full of like just different colors and people, and then one person showed up one color to be and all that stuff. And uh, when these certain people shouted about it, it would be brighter and more powerful and mm-hmm. whatever. Topic in my life, um, and one thing I've always loved about God is the whole love portion of God and all the, the intricacies that it comes with and all that stuff. And um, one thing I want to be, um, like you said, you want to be known for is I want to know um, that I love God and I love people. Um, thank you, sir. With that, in recent months. I really felt like I've made servanthood an idol in my life. Um, instead of pursuing what God really has for me and pursuing my relationship with Him and just with Him and making it that my center, I've made, you know, that be humbled and be a servant in your life first. And I've made that more valid than I have um, made my relationship. What is faith without works, right? And I guess it finishes with my life is that I've lost track of, I don't want to say who I'm doing it for, but who it is for, I guess. I don't know, so it's just this real, it's just something really like stirring my heart, and I can't pinpoint this quite yet. But I know that. No one thing that I've searched for and longed for and everything is just to be in such personal relationship with God that nothing else matters. And I don't know how that looks or how it feels, but I just know that there's something that it's not even just my own strength that I want to pursue it with, but I know this is something that God called me to. And it's super confusing and it's super hard to do. And I just feel kind of lost sometimes. A lot of the time I know that it's not something everyone's going to do or uh, that someone's going to be able to explain to me. And a lot of me is lost because I don't really have a mentor in my life. But I don't know. I just, I process things by talking. So thank you guys for that. <laughs> I know that this is, all of this lines up with something at least. So, excuse my rant. No, you're good. I want to hear from some people that never talk. Don't make me go around the circle and make you and make you talk to me. Speak up. Is this connecting with people? Are you? What are you hearing? Do you have questions? I 
really will go around the circle and make you talk. So, sacrifice yourself. Speak up. Come on, somebody. You guys don't trust me. You don't. You don't. You don't understand. I'll make you speak. Who's gonna go? Anything? Say anything. Is anybody confused? There's a whole, whole lot of people that are in your exact spot. A whole lot. And I can definitely say that I that I have been there in uh, years past where I could say that I knew God loved me, but I didn't feel loved by God. I didn't have an ex- experiential knowledge of the love of God. I want to encourage you to ask for it. Pray Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. I'm serious. Ask him to deepen your understanding of his love for you and not, not up here, but here. I would also encourage you to study Song of Solomon. Yeah. I just finished your podcast. Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Completely wrecked me, dude. Changed. <clears throat> yeah, we went through Song of Solomon two or three years ago, and I would totally be ready to do that again yes. with you guys. Oh, my goodness. Um, because it is one of my... Yes. That was the book. I got to tell you, Song of Solomon was the book that crowbarred my heart open to receive love from God in ways that were almost embarrassing to me. That might just scare the crap out of you. (laughs) And here's why. Because what I realized was the reason I didn't feel loved by God was not just because I didn't love myself and I really didn't. But it's because I was embarrassed to receive love from him. It was, that was a level of vulnerability that I wasn't ready to give him. That because of stuff that I'd gone through, because of my, my, my friendships and my past walk with Christ, etc., that I had literally shut myself down so that I didn't need love from anyone. Because then they couldn't reject me. And that included God. Because FYI, if you make yourself numb to pain, you also make yourself numb to joy. It's real. But the Lord did his work 
through the book, through the Saga Solomon, and he melted his way past my defenses and made me actually feel adored by him to the place where whenever I'm studying Song of Solomon, I literally get like giggly and blushy, like, Jesus loves me. <laughs> and I needed that. I needed it. But it that's what's enabled me to begin to love other people and to receive love from others, which is really hard to do. But I needed to say something else to you. You cannot love someone unless they can love you back. You need to hear that. Love cannot just be one way. So if you cannot receive love from someone, you can't love them. Because part of loving them is receiving love from them. Do you have a question? I said do it your own. I was like, that's why like, it gets confusing to me. Because it's like, you can't love someone if they can't love back. But like, they'll just love people the way that God loves them. But God loves them even if they don't love back. Sure. It's not, it, it, just being open to receive love back from them is enough. Even if they are, because here's the truth. It isn't, if you're not receiving love back from them, it isn't because, it's because their heart is paralyzed. And their heart can't receive love that you're giving to them. Because the human heart, when it is loved, loves back. That's how it works. So if you're not receiving love from someone that you're showing love to, it's because they can't receive it. Now, there's a whole lot of reasons that might play into that. Maybe you haven't learned how to, how to love that specific person. I've had that issue more than once. Or there's someone I really, truly care about. And they don't feel that from me. And I don't know how else to do it. And I'm trying to love them and they receive it as like almost abuse. And I'm like, okay, well, I, well, I literally have to step back. <clears throat> it's not as much about love languages as you might think. Most of the time it's, especially if I'm in a leadership position with that person, is that they have only ever received been in abusive leadership situations or they were formed in abusive leadership situations. And so when I come and I try and walk out a healthy leadership attitude towards them, they receive it as, as abuse. Just That's just the only way. It's like, have you seen the video on Facebook of the puppy that's never been lovingly that's touched? And so as soon as you just put, you know, they're just lovingly petting this puppy and it's going, because it, it wasn't really hurting, but it didn't, it was just ready for pain. But that's people. That's how people are. And when, when, when they've been formed in abusive situations and you begin to love them, they're, gonna, they're immediately going to respond like they would respond to abuse because they don't know anything else. Oh, it just kills me. It kills me. 
and I, I've I've seen that, and I've been in those situations, and 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 it's really hard. And I prayed really hard every single time. Lord, show teach me how to love this person. Teach me how to lead this person. Teach me how to be, you know, to to get beyond this huge sore on the outside so that they can actually be receive healing. And I can't say I've gotten it right every time. Did you have something? Like it's it's for me, like I had a really hard time letting God love me because I was making it legalistic. I'm not saying like the way like I know God loves me and I know that He wants to be with me the way to intimacy with God is to act right, to attend the services, to look good, to do these things. And like what I can I just do an example? I do. Storms, come here, bro. You're God today and I need a hug. I need a hug. Here, buddy. I, I'm sorry, that's that's I'm not right. That's no that's not right either. Okay, I really need a hug, but like this just I'm not right. This isn't the right position. I need to. I need to adjust. I need to adjust. <laughs> it's not working. And this whole time, if I just. Amen. That's good. He's already trying to wrap his arms around me. The question is whether or not am I going to lean into it? Yeah. I enjoy taking hugs in real life. And as well as examples, yeah, I think the best I think that has revolutionized the way that I love others. I gotta tell you, there's. I was talking to somebody a few days ago, and I've been, I've been, for literally years, I've been thinking about the issue of why does God call us to processes that last years when he could just change me like that. And I've been asking that question for probably 15 years because I realized, you know, because I've been in process with God about a lot of things and I'm like, Lord, if you would just snap your fingers and fix this about me, we wouldn't have this issue. And my questions, I have so many So there's so many things that are wrong in me and God's answer to all, almost all of them have been, let's begin a process about that. And I'm going, but you could just fix it right now, right? Like you could just teach me this and I wouldn't have to walk through a process. I could just learn, right? I mean, doesn't, don't you feel that? I feel that all the time. Lord, why don't you just, just microwave it Right? Can we fast food this, Jesus? Can I just pull around to the next window, you know? And the, and, and the Lord's like, no, I'm not interested in that. And he keeps calling me to a place of process where he wants me to sit in his word and sit in ideas and walk, at, walk things out with people over decades where he's slowly but surely seeping the truth into my consciousness. 
And I'm like, I don't understand that. I want to understand why God makes that choice because that I believe that's God's choice. I don't. I believe God could snap his fingers and change these things, but he doesn't. He chooses not to. And the more I think about it, the more I'm 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 melted by this. Because do you know what it says? Do you know what that says? Because I honestly believe, and the more I study God's word, the more I see it, that God chooses process because it's in the midst of process that relationship happens with him. Which means God's more interested in my relationship with him than he is in me getting something right. And you're right, my whole life I thought. God would love to have a relationship with me, but I, I'm not getting it right. The Lord's like, you got it backwards, bud. I'm more, inter- I, I, I'm more interested in walking this walk with you than I am in where we end up. He's more interested in your journey between here and there than he is the calling that he's put on your life. I don't want to talk to anybody about their calling anymore because it's just, it's dumb. It's stupid. It becomes this ridiculous idol that's just kind of like out there, like, you know, like the carrot being hung on the end of a stick. Like eventually you'll find your calling and that's all bull crap, guys. It's bull crap. No, what Jesus wants from you is friendship. What Jesus wants from you is relationship. He wants you to be connected to him. And guess what? Then you'll just find yourself in the midst of something that you'll realize this was my calling. But it was never about that at all. In fact, the ministry that we do is more about you connecting with Jesus and with the people that he's put you around than it is about anything you would accomplish, quote unquote. And in this culture that we've created, which is so event-driven, so task-driven, so, so like, build your resume, and Jesus is like, I don't care about your resume. Do you know me? And do you know the people that you're walking down this road with? Do you love them?
I think I'm 39 years old and I'm just figuring this out and if you guys can get this in your 20s your highest calling is relationship with God and relationship with people. We like to say it, love God, love people. Because that feels a little more like a task. But that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus is not task-oriented. Love God, love people. Be in relationship Healthy, flourishing relationship with God and with people. Stop thinking about people as notches on your salvation belt. Gotta get them saved. How dare you devalue them like Why isn't it I want I want them to feel loved by me and by God? I want to get to know them. I want them in their darkest moment to be able to say, Well, you know what, I I know Josh loves me and I know Jesus loves me and I'm gonna be okay. Do you think that's worth more than a membership card or an I Spoken Tongues badge? <laughs> I want you to look across the room at the people that are in this room. And I want you to see the incredible treasure that they are. And I want you to see that Jesus loves them and that you he has called you to love them the same way he loves them. That's not cheap. It doesn't happen quickly. And I don't really know how to do it, so don't ask. Let's pray.
Father, I'm not interested in being a man with a lot of theories or big ideas. I read about this and I exhort the people that I'm talking to to do these things. I will be entirely honest with you and with them right now. I don't know how to do these things. And I'm not, for the most part, doing these things. And that I need to hear these exhortations as much, if not more, than they do. So I'm just going to say, help. Jesus, I want your example to be more than just something I talk about or something that I think about. I want it to translate all the way through my brain and into my DNA. I want it to form what I do with my minutes and my hours and my days and my years. I want it to be the the reflex I'm asking you Jesus to make me look like you and Your word says that I am being transformed into the image of the Son of God. That's, I'm putting my confidence in that because I can't transform myself into your image. I've barely got the slightest, tiniest glimpse of what that image even looks like. And I've got so much brokenness and so much insecurity and so much so many bad ideas running around in my head, so much false theology rumbling around in my brain that, Jesus, it's hopeless without you. I need you. I'm asking you for help. I'm asking you. I'm echoing that that prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 to strengthen me by the power of your spirit and my inner being that I might receive this gift. I can't do this. But I want to be in the place where this isn't, where this is who I am. Where the worship of success is completely drummed out of me. Where the, where the desire to stand up for my own rights is gone. Where I where I honestly believe and fully accept and walk out the reality that the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. I, I, I want that. I want that. And I want that for my friends that are in this room because I know the truth, Jesus, that if I'm living your way, there isn't anything better. That real joy and real freedom and and real fulfillment is found is it's found there it's not found in all of the things that i have used to to search 
Lord, I, I pray for my friends in this room been listening to me ramble about this stuff, and I pray, I hope that some of the eternal seed of the Word of God has, has come out and has been sprinkled on them. And I pray for the church that you've called me to pastor. I haven't seen, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this in the world. Would you help us make this? Would you help us build this? Would you help us do this? Would you teach me to throw away what's comfortable and what's easy and what I've practiced and what I've done and embrace things that will form us in this way? Jesus, you're the head of the church and I trust you. feel like this is a word of the Lord for all of us this morning. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the one that abides in me, he'll bear much fruit. Don't focus on the, on your limbs, don't focus on your, your exterior, focus on your connection to me. I promise you, fruit will come. I promise you, enlarge your connection to me. Fruit will come. It'll come without striving, without difficulty, and without fear. My Father will be glorified because you will bear much fruit. And yeah, there will be pruning and sometimes that won't feel good. But you can trust me. I care more about you than you understand. And I care more about you than I do about anything I have asked you to do. Because you are mine and I am yours. And I'm going to teach you to love each other the way I loved you. I'm going to teach you to do that by loving you really well. <laughs>